The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. This is Toby Manhai with a special one-off bonus extra edition of Gone By Lunchtime. Normal service will resume very soon, but for today we've got a special interview with Deborah Hart, who's the chair of the Independent Electoral Review, who have just issued an interim report. It stems from like about a year ago when Chris Farfoy got a panel together Uh, promising a a once-in-a-generation opportunity, he said, to consider how to make our electoral laws clearer, fairer and more accessible. We have that report out today. It's got a swathe of recommendations and everything from reducing the voting age to 16, dropping the threshold to 3.5%, getting rid of the coattail exception, asking for a referendum on the parliamentary term, quite a sizable shrinking of the criteria for donation in terms of a cap and in terms of who can donate, and a rewrite of the Electoral Act. So there's a lot in there. Uh, And it's provoked a whole range of responses, uh, including some cynicism from that will never happen, all the way through to this is a terrible woke conspiracy. So I put all of that to Deborah Hart and asked her about both the report's substantial recommendations and the response so far. Welcome, Deborah. The interim report is out. There you have it in front of you. Yes, I do. 338 pages. <laughs> wow. Yes, it's it's a bit of a monster. Uh, but uh, we've also published uh, another document that sits beside it that's a key yeah. themes document if yeah. you don't feel like reading the, the whole thing. It's the gateway drug. The gateway the, drug, that's <laughs> right. The, that's the ex- full doorstop. That's exactly right. Um, tell us about where it stems from. What was the starting point for this? Yeah, uh, the the government uh, decided that really we needed to uh, have a look at all our electoral system mm. uh, and it appointed an independent panel of uh, May last year. Yeah. Uh, very wide terms of reference for us to really have a look comprehensively at our electoral system. Some things were out of scope, like um, broader constitutional reform. We're not trying to uh, replace MMP Mm. or look into whether we need an upper house or Mm. abolish the Maori seats or look at local... Uh, local elections, local elections the, all yeah, out of yeah. scope, but everything else is in scope. A lot. <laughs> so it was a lot, <laughs> that's right, and, and still is a and lot. That's a lot to squeeze into 
a year, isn't it? I mean, I, it I don't know. really is. It really is. And you know, we we are only part way through this process mm. because this is an interim report. Uh, we we are we've engaged very very widely, uh, and this is this is where our thinking is now. We're looking to New Zealanders now to tell us. You know, have we got it right? Uh, are there any unforeseen consequences of what we're suggesting? Mm. Just to sort of test it, and then, um, and then we're going to go and finalise our report and deliver it to the government after uh, the election in no, the, by the end of November. Yeah. What about you personally? Were you when when you got the call to chair this panel into uh, the electoral system? Did your eyes light up? Is it something that that you're? I literally danced a wee jig. No. That's the that's really? the honest truth. Okay, and I uh, and personally, I wished my parents, who used to allow us to stay up late every election night, <laughs> uh, as we you know watched a new government uh, uh, come into being. I wished they could have seen that moment because look, I've always been interested in our uh, electoral system. Mm. I've always been interested in in um, parliament and government and and what drives it all. So, you know, it is an enormous privilege for me to be chairing this review and working uh, with just a fine group of people, Mm. both on the panel and the the secretariat that sits behind it. A lot of very smart people, a lot of quite sort of nerdy and headstrong people probably. I wouldn't call them that. The, um, <laughs> we'll go through, we'll sort of walk through some of the main recommendations sure. at the moment, but what were the, what were the ones that people got, whether it was the submitters, because you've already had a whole bunch of submitters and run, yep. run various sessions, whether it's the submitters or, or, or the subjects that were within the group that you kind of argued about or discussed at no, the greatest we d- length. Look, we debated, you know... <laughs> At length over many parts of this, um, many parts of the review, mm. and sometimes we thought we were heading in one direction, and then you'd you'd hear from um, someone submitting, and you'd you know the panel would go. Well, we hadn't thought of that, mm-hmm. um, and we would sort of change, you know, change our minds about things, um, and there was a lot of debating. Uh, and differing views around mm. the panel. So we've done quite a lot of testing out our views with each other uh, and kind of pushing each other mm. um, to, you know, test out what we're, what we're thinking. So, uh, you know, look, there's, a, there's um, you know, some very meaty topics in there like um, financing mm. of political parties. Mm. And there's different ways that you could... You could cut this, and you know we were we were looking at things from all kinds of different angles. Well, let's let's start on that financing thing because that you know in itself could have generated a three hundred and something page report, mm. couldn't it? Yeah. The 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 key parts of that are a thirty thousand dollar cap on yep. donations. Yep. And transparency for donations over the sum of remind me. Uh, well, the. Um, over the um, a thousand five hundred, yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, you know, the thing that, the thing about this is, um, really, we heard a lot in the submission process, a great deal of unease about where we are with political donations. Yeah. Uh, so. Never far from the headlines in the, in the, in the last few years. Yeah, and time. not in a good way. Mm. Um, 
We heard a lot of unease about the um, the amounts that could be donated and the undue influence that might be buying, uh, the lack of transparency over who exactly was um, making these donations. Right. So the idea is only uh, enrolled voters can make uh, donations. That's yeah. one of our recommendations. Which removes, for example, uh, companies, trusts and unions, which are and, all of those and EWI? All EWI groups. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just across the board, huh. we're interested, um, you know, are there any unforeseen uh, sort of um, results of that, that that we wouldn't want? Mm. But, you know, we think keeping it at uh, registered electors to make uh, donations and loans uh you know, we'll clean this up a, a lot, then putting a cap on the amount that you can donate. So $30,000 uh, per person, per electoral cycle to any one party and their candidates. Uh, just lowering the amounts really that can be um, that can be donated, uh, anonymous donations, sorry, I think I steered you incorrectly, up to $500. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a package uh, there uh, and, and increased transparency as we um, get closer to an election as well, so increased reporting. If you applied that retrospectively across the last few elections, You'd, you'd wipe out a huge, huge part of the quantum donation, I would have thought, with the main parties, certainly. Did you model that? Did you look at what that would amount to? We, we, we looked at, you know, how it could change. But, of course, this this does sit also with what we're doing with um, the with, with state funding. Um, so, of course, political parties already get state funding through yeah. the broadcasting allocation. Uh, and we're... Um, we're recommending that that broadcasting allocation be abolished and repurposed. Uh, so, so it'd be more of a general war chest for a campaign. That's an interesting way of putting it, but um, and in a way, yes, um, we're suggesting per vote funding on a sli- sliding scale. Yeah. Uh, also, tax credits for people who donate um, up to a thousand dollars thereby incentivising um, people to uh, donate, base funding for registered parties. We heard from political parties. Mm. The administration costs that they that they have in running a, uh, running a party, so ensuring that they have some, um, some funding to do that and then uh, also having some state funding for a new fund uh, to uh, enable uh, political parties and candidate, candidates to uh, to really engage with Maori communities, uh, and lastly, uh, also expanding the the election access fund that we all already have uh, to uh, include applications to parties to meet uh, the needs of disability. Um, Accessibility needs and, and campaigns, so a range, a range of mm. uh, repurposing. So to get back to your first question, a quite you know difficult to know, uh, you know how that all how that all lands as as per the last election, because of course we didn't have the whole package in place. Mm. But we think what it's going to do is promote uh, smaller 
but more donations, hopefully. Right. Uh, it'll increase transparency uh, over um, political financing and it will take away um, the the perception at least that um, that large donations are buying undue influ- influence in mm. our government and hopefully it will increase trust uh, and we also uh, noted the uh, you know the research around you know the dwindling trust uh, mm. in the political system mm. and the electoral system because of these of, of um, uh, political financing and in making that recommendation you had a did you have a sort of north star i mean you mentioned trust and fairness was another one what was the what was the sort of guiding light yeah. so we had um we had a number of guiding principles throughout this whole review mm. and fairness uh, was one of them uh, ensuring that uh, we could get a representative parliament and an effective government and an effective parliament and of course you know when you're looking at political financing, you know, ensuring that um, parties uh, which are really important under MMP can can get the money to, to um, be out there and letting electors know what it is they stand for is really important. Mm. Um, that our rules are, are um, uh, open and uh, and we have a transparent system that we uphold Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, uh, and that our system is uh, enduring so that we have this idea that we're, that we're future-proofing. Mm. So a number of different things here in relation to um, uh, the political donation regime that we're suggesting. And there is a balance there because, of course, making a donation is... is you know, a, a, an expression of, uh, uh, you know, what it is that, that you feel and what what you want. Yeah. Uh, and you want to only limit that uh, as far as, as necessary. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a balancing there to be done and we hope that we have achieved the right balance. Uh, but... If there's another way to cut this, if there's a better way of doing it, we do want to hear from people if they think uh, there's a there's a more effective way. Another one that is controversial, they're all controversial in their own <laughs> in their own ways, and that's a good thing. But one that is going to meet a lot of resistance has already is the voting age. Yes. We've had the Make It Six sixteen group uh, running a campaign for some time. They had a Supreme Court ruling in their favour. So there's a little bit of kind of recent history there and I think probably the dials moved in, in, in some way in terms of the general yes. mood in the public. Was that a straightforward recommendation as far as the panel was concerned? Yeah, look, um, so one of the things that we're, uh, one of those principles is to ensure um, accessibility of our electoral system, that is, as many people as possible can take part in it. Mm-hmm. We were very mindful that the Bill of Rights Act um provides that, you know, voting is a fundamental right, as we know it is, uh, and that you can only limit it to the extent that is necessary in a free and democratic country. We know that the Human Rights Act says that you shouldn't discriminate uh, from 16 and above. So those are the the national settings. Hmm. We know that, uh, you know, internationally, 
there seems to be this move uh, with countries that we like to uh, compare ourselves with favourably uh, to lower the voting age. Um, so, you know, a number of countries have done it or are looking at it, you know, Germany, Canada, Scotland, Wales, uh, and some of the research that's come out as, you know, it seems that the lower age seems to embed um, really good voting habits, lifelong voting habits, yeah. uh, when younger people are at, um, this, many of them are still at home or still at school, all of that feeding into where we got to. Um, so was it the most contentious thing that we had to, um, that we had to deal with? Um, oh. Perhaps not. We heard um, we heard a lot from submitters, both for and against, oh, yeah. and we were we were trying to look out for, you know, is there anything could, that could justify us um, uh, keeping the age at eighteen? Mm. Uh, and you know, on balance, we just think it is a fairer thing to do to lower the voting age and extend the franchise in this way. Uh, also pretty mindful of some of the things that we already as a society say that 16-year-olds can do. Mm. Is it, the, the voting age is something that's, I think, entrenched in the in the Electoral Act, so it would require a 75% supermajority yep. in the House, uh, or, or a referendum. Did, did, you didn't, did, do you think they should go to a referendum, that change in the voting age? No, we option? don't. Um, and why is that different? Because on the, on the four-year term, which is another thing, mm. You, 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 your recommendation is that that should go to a, to a plebiscite. What's the difference between yeah. those two? Well, a four-year term, um, if we're parliamentarians were to just pass yeah. a law, all yeah. agreeing, uh, it would be like, um, uh, you know, uh, me deciding unilaterally that I'm going to work for someone for an extra for an extra year when I only had a three-year contract. It's kind of, they've kind of got a vested interest there. It really does need to go to a referendum. Uh, And, you know, on the four-year term, we heard enough uh, of, and submitters were pretty evenly split and there were great arguments on both sides of the argument. Hmm. Uh, We heard enough that it needs to go to referendum. I mean, arguably in one sense it might be likelier to get through. On a referendum than it would on a on a on a seventy five percent vote. Well, sixteen. Look, we think it's a very simple thing here. Yeah. Um, particularly keeping in mind what the Supreme Court has okay. told um, parliamentarians about uh, the age of uh, voting, uh, and keeping in mind that each time we've extended the franchise, mm. it has been done by Parliament. Let's talk about the threshold. That's a good uh, chewy <laughs> one for people yep. who are into this particular subject. Yep. You have landed, there have been various recommendations in the past which mm-hmm. have been um, uh, politely ignored or shelved <laughs> to, to reduce it to 4%. The Royal Commission that uh, originally that, that sparked all of the, the MMP system, introduction of the MMP system, I think said 4%. Yep. You, you guys have landed on 3.5%, <laughs> which sounds to me like halfway between some of the panels saying 3% and some of the panels saying 4%. Yep. You can tell that my maths is quite advanced there. <laughs> um, what, are the, what, are the, what are the arguments around there? What are the arguments? Uh, I mean, the, the, I suppose the most compelling argument in favour of reducing it is a purely a representation one, isn't That's it? Right. That there are how many people are there whose votes don't contribute to the composition of the House? Well, last election, about a quarter of a million. Right. 
That's right. a lot. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Uh, so, yes, you're right. The Royal Commission in 86 said 4%. Uh, it finally went to, you know, when we were, we were um, uh, enacting MMP, it went off to select committee, and lo and behold, it came came, came out at five. five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've had several reports that said, look, it could be, uh, it could be lowered. Uh, and the, the balancing that we're having here is about representative government an effective government and an effective parliament. Uh, you know, what are those settings? Uh, and yes, we had very robust conversations mm. around the panel about what the uh, the percentage should be. Uh, and uh, there were differing views around the panel. Uh, and so we landed on 3.5%. Uh, some of us may have been happier with four. Some may have been... were. I may have been, were yeah. happier with three. <laughs> Who am I kidding here? Three. Um, but we could all we could all coalesce around 3.5%. Um, should it go lower? Maybe. But we have been mindful in the past that um, reports have said, look, let's lower, you know, lower it, mm. see how it goes, review, and then, mm. you know, if it works well and it's, there's no unforeseen um uh, bad things that happen, lower it again. So we think 3.5% is about right, but again, people can can tell us. Yeah, and it's an interesting question, isn't it, because it's very easy to say that the threshold was set at a level, ergo X party got in and Y party didn't, but of course the threshold itself has a force insofar as there's some parties that that feel that they become disenfranchised might be overstating it, but, but lose any oxygen yeah. as, as, when, as soon as a poll comes up showing a party on 1.9%, it's sort of game over. That's right? right. That's right. And people go, well, I don't want to waste my vote, so I might as well vote for this other party. Mm. Keep in mind that this, that, that this recommendation goes hand in glove with one of our other recommendations, and that is uh, that we get rid of the, um, the rule, the one-seat rule, um, the so coat-tail the, the coattail rule, yeah. uh, where you have one, you win a, a seat, and you bring all these parliamentarians in with you. Uh, so, uh, on the on the one hand, we're saying, look, lower the threshold, better for smaller parties, more representative parliament. But this other way that smaller parties have been getting in, get rid of that. Why? Because this is a fairer system. We did hear from a lot of people uh, who were pretty unhappy that Party A could win more of more votes than Party B, but mm. Party B won an electorate. Party A didn't get into a parliament. Party B mm. is in not just with, with one seat, but many seats. It's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because how far do you go down the proportional purity mm. route, right? Like, I mean, you know, people look at... Uh, Places like, like Israel, for example, which is yeah. a three point two five, I think. That's when right, three point two five. And and others, there, you know, there are examples of lower ones too. I think around the world, and yeah. and you can create this kind of proliferation of small parties you that can. have potentially an outsize, you know, when it comes to proportionality, an outsize impact. Yes, and you have to take care in in the comparisons you you make because you yeah. know Israel is a very different country to. To New Zealand, uh, so would it provide the same kind of um, results? 
don't know. But, uh, you know, we're pretty confident at 3.5%. Uh, you know, we're still going to have effective government. And one of the things that we heard from a lot of people was about, you know, the tail wagging the dog. Mm. Uh, we think that if there are, you know, just a few more smaller parties, the impact of one small party holding the sway may lessen. Sure. Um, so, yeah. The... I mean, the other thing about the electorate seat, the coattail rule, but the idea of the electorate seat, I think, and you can tell me if this is wrong, it sort of comes from the German idea where you would have kind of regional rumps, so groups. That's right. And so, I mean, just because we don't have it now, there's no reason, say, that the kind of Otago and Southland grouping that could get a couple of seats, get 3%, it's quite a good argument for for them to, to, to be able to kind of bank their full support level, isn't there? Yes, so that would be yes. Look, none of you know. There were very few arguments that you could look at that you went, "There's nothing right, in that." Sure. It really is a balancing, uh, and you know, looking at the whole thing in the round and going, "Well, you know, this this is a better way to do it." Let's talk quickly about that four-year term. We touched on it. Uh, the the trade-off there is, of course, between this, you know, and we hear this from parliamentarians a lot. This is the one This is the one recommendation that love. I think most MPs <laughs> are, are keen on. And they say, and they, 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 it's, not, it's, it's, it's not because they want to grip to power and, you know, uh, uh, well, they, don't, they, they, don't, they don't, when you talk to them, they mean it, is what I'm saying. Yes. You know, they're quite genuine in saying, look, it's really hard to get a programme of work through, to go through the legislative process and to, you know, and then it's election year and, it, you know, we know what's happening now. Yep. It's election year. Everything is in the service of election day in some yep. sense. And then, of course, the counter-argument is what? The counter-argument, and particularly in New Zealand, right? There are some particular particular factors in, in New Zealand that Can't make, hold them to account is right. the major argument. The fastest lawmaker in the West, as Palmer once said. Yeah. You can't hold them to account. It's not like other democracies where there's an upper house. We don't have a Supreme Court that can strike down laws. Right. We need to hold them to account. Uh, that is the, the main argument that we heard about, um, you know, uh, a three-year term and why we should keep it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that um, I remember reading in a submission from an um, uh, uh, an academic of, you know, we've put through some quite complex laws mm. in three years. Just because you extend the time doesn't mean the lawmaking is going to get better. Yeah. So, look, there are really good arguments, uh, both for and against a, a, a four-year term. Uh, but there were some really good arguments, uh, enough that you that we thought, look, it's been over 30 years since New Zealanders have decided on this. Uh before MMP, uh, it's time for New Zealanders to uh, be asked to what their thoughts are uh, again uh, and there to be a well-resourced campaign, education campaign, so that people know what this is all about. Did anyone make the case for longer than four or, 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 or less than three? Uh Certainly not less than three. <laughs> I, used to work, I used to work with someone who said, oh, this is nonsense, this four-year term, so we should have elections every year, uh, annual election. Oh, I feel a tightness in my chest, don't you? Um, no. I, look, there may have been some that said longer. Yeah. We were certainly, um, longer terms were referenced. Yeah. Um, 
So there are, I mean, Did obviously. Did fixed terms? Was that in your remit or not? Uh, fixed terms as in? As in that it would be a determined length of parliament rather yes. than being at the yes. at the whim of the The, the, the prime minister, minister. yeah. yeah. Oh, and we did discuss that yeah, and decided against it. You could go for 3.5. We could go for 3.5. And then 3. you could have 3.5 thresholds, just to absolute purity. I think you should put that in a submission. Through the system, just to make it all <laughs> easy to remember. Um, well, let's talk quickly about the Election Day stuff, just because that's kind of interesting, and then we'll move on to this last bit about the Electoral Act. Yep. The recommendation is to remove most of the rules that proscribe, that limit... Uh, media coverage on election day itself? Yeah. Look, most of us, things have changed enormously. Uh, it wasn't like when when I started voting. We all would rock up on polling day. The big day. The big day out. Yep. Uh, and we all were, you know, unless there was something really special going on and you had to get a special vote. Hmm. Uh, so most of us, uh, so it made sense that we wouldn't have uh, advertising on polling day, the idea being that you, there was not undue influence on your vote. Yep. Now, nearly 70% of us vote in advance. What is the use of saying you cannot have advertising on polling day? Now, you could extend the blackout for the whole of the advance uh, voting period, which, yeah, you know, <laughs> but that would be quite a crushing effect on free speech, don't you think? Um, so uh, we're just saying, look, you know, it's time has come. Uh, there shouldn't be um, uh, advertising within 10 metres of a polling booth, mm. uh, but that should be the extent. I quite like the ritual of the sort of night before at 11.30, everyone goes down and removes their hoardings. You know, there are some, and, there are some nice ritual elements that we might and we And we, we did discuss that too because, you know, you can imagine a scenario where uh, political parties aren't incentivised to take down their hoardings. Yeah. So we have made a recommendation uh, that, um, you know, they've got till the Monday after election day, after which the Electoral Commission can take them down and send the party the, the bill yeah, yeah. Um, so that we're not having to put up with hoardings um, long after the election has, has been determined. Um, the, the last bit I wanted to talk about was the Electoral Act to get an overhaul and also mm. to, to make it clearer and more accessible, but also to, to incorporate the treaty. What does that mean in practice? What does that mean in real yeah, terms? Yeah. Uh, well, let me talk about the first thing first. Sure. Um, the Electoral Act, uh, 1993 Act, uh, it hasn't had an overhaul in a long time. The mm. 1986 um, uh, Royal Commission said it needed a, a rewrite. It, it, it didn't get one. Um, it's, it's really, uh, uh, it needs uh, to be a lot clearer. It is clunky and cumbersome. Some of the language in it is completely outdated. Uh, and so we're suggesting that uh, it does need to have a complete um, a complete overhaul. Mm. Um, in relation to Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, uh, you know, we we have an obligation to uphold Te Tiriti. Uh, we we uh, heard um, that uh, the um, the way electoral elections have been run in the past uh, has some ongoing legacy issues for Maori, that Maori have not always been treated fairly in our electoral uh, system, haven't always had uh, equal equal rights right back 
um, when the, you know, right back uh, in um, in the first Constitution Act, when Maori um, were given Maori men were given the vote, uh, but the property test meant that they couldn't vote. Uh, right mm. up to this year, uh, when Maori um, couldn't um, change from one uh, electoral roll to another, except every five or six years, now they can do it, um, uh, except within the, the three three months uh, before. An election. So yeah. lots of legacy issues there. What does that mean? It means that, you know, there is a lower degree of trust and buy into our electoral system for many Māori, and that evidences itself in a, a lower Māori turnout. So what we're doing is uh, recommending that the Electoral Act um, explicitly requires decision makers to give effect to uh to uh, Tetariti, the treaty and its its principles, in exercising their f- their functions, uh, that will give the electoral commission the mandate to do the work that it started doing in trying to ensure that um, Maori um, uh, uh, that they reach Maori um, voters. Okay. So you've completed this report and it's going out for wider consultation now for a period of a couple of months. But it's also after you've all been in, in, in this sort of not quite hermetic but enclosed space, it's out there in public and it meets this kind of collides with this other force. It meets a sort of real-world politic yep. vortex. And that means, for example, Winston Peters has called the report more dangerous woke nonsense. Mm-hmm. Mike, Hus- Mike Hosking, who's not a politician but is quite a popular broadcaster, said it pretty much looks like what a heavily left-leaning group would drum up. And David Seymour, who's an elected parliamentarian, made it personal, and he called you a totally politicised and partial chair, trotting out slogans like a populist politician masquerading as a sober independent chair. He's not holding back, he never does. But that's quite strong stuff. What do you what do you say to that? Well, I, look... This is an, a, an independent panel. Hmm. It was uh, selected n- not by um, politicians, uh, at, at least in the first instance. Uh, there was a, a, a panel that uh, was set up to interview uh, those who were shortlisted uh, and they were appointed. Uh, we have really uh, looked at those principles that I've talked to you about and tried to apply them as best as we possibly could um, to ensure that our electoral system is fairer, clearer, more accessible um, to as to more people to take part in our electoral system, uh, and that's and that's what this is about. Uh, we will do everything that we can possibly do as a panel to. Um, to understand what it is that New Zealanders are telling us in their submissions, to look at the international evidence, to, uh, you know, understand the research that has gone on uh, and to feed it all into the final report. And I think that any government should be interested uh, in that kind of comprehensive, holistic and independent view. Must be a bit of a but disheartening, though, for people to come in so hot with <laughs> with sort of quite quite antagonistic responses like that. Well, it's great that people are interested. <laughs> it's great that they're interested. And I'll tell you the other thing. 
you know, you do have to, if you're going to do work like this, be prepared to have your ideas tested. I'm more interested in people telling us, look, uh, you know, that part of the report is wrong or this is this is not quite right because if you apply a principle of fairness, it doesn't get you to here. Hmm. If you want a representative government or uh, you want to ensure that people can take part, this is the way to do it, not that way. Those kinds of conversations that are going to ensure uh, that we, you know, that we can really test our ideas, uh, they're what we're really interesting interested in hearing. And we will be going out to all the political parties just as we did in the first stage of engagement. Mm. Uh, and look, I would like to hear from from all of those uh, people uh, and tell us, tell us what it is uh, that you're concerned about and what could be done uh, better. Did they submit? Did the parties submit during the all first the process? parliamentary uh, parties submitted, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and some of some of the ones who are not in parliament? Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, there was a very broad um, uh, engagement phase. We heard mm. from a lot of New Zealanders, a thousand seven hundred submissions, many of them from um, community groups, um, academics, political parties, a whole range of different kinds of groups. Uh, We're hoping that um, we will get even more engagement um, in this phase before the 17th of July. It's kind of a a paradox, isn't it? Because, you know, with something like this, the dream would be to try and take the politics out of it. But it is... Definition. Well, <laughs> By definition, inher- political. It's inherently yeah. political, but the panel has done everything it could not to be. Yeah. I can assure you we don't sit there in our meetings talking about the politics. What if we do this? Yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah, in, yeah. you know. We talk about those principles and we, at the front of every meeting, we talk about the principles. We talk about, right, well, we're talking about the voting system. Which principles are we talking about? And we apply them. We're talking about, um, you know, um, the design of electoral law. What principles do we need to apply here? That's what we talk about. Um, uh, so that we're trying to be incredibly principled mm. about this, um, and and not um, and not be involved in the politics. That's that's for others. And it's in terms of the timing of it. Was that deliberate on anyone's part? That because it, it's kind of interesting the way it sits in relation to the election. Because you don't want it on one level. Maybe I'll put it to you this way: on one level, you don't want it to get caught up in the argy bargy of elections. On another, maybe it's good for some of these <laughs> things to be debated during an election campaign. What do you think? How do well, you see it? the timing, the overall timing was not of our choosing. Yeah. Um, having said that, we want to stay out of the electoral... Stay out of the... the the um, lead up to the election. Right. So, well, hang uh, on, though. What about, for example, there's a, there's a minor parties leader debate... Mm. Wouldn't it be good for that to be a question to be asked about what the threshold should be or the term or whatever? They can talk about okay. it if they so would you, like it's, to. It's, you're the panel staying out of it. We want right. to stay out. Okay, we do sure. want to stay out of it. That's not our – the election, this yeah. election, yeah. is not our business. Um, not our business <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, so, get together and form a party now that you've got to know each other so I well. I don't yeah. think okay. so. Right. <laughs> um, the um, – the way that we've structured uh, what we've been doing has been mindful of the election that's coming yeah. up. So we're trying to finish um, our engagement as soon as we can whilst 
leaving enough time that New Zealanders uh, can tell us what they think and engage because the reports, you know, it's not a small document. If they want to be able to, you know, there's time to read it mm. and to digest it and um, and then tell us what they think. Um, once that uh, stage is completed um, on the 17th of July, then, you know, we can, you know, quietly <laughs> um, burrow, away. burrow away and work out what it is that they've told us yeah. and what we want to do. And then that comes back on November, November doesn't it? End so, of so November. Kind of in a way maybe that gives a little bit of, you know, air cover or, or, or open pastures for things to be done without them being feeling like they're lost in partisan politics. That's right. So quickly tell people if they want to submit... Have Please. a look at this. It's what do you do? You have the URL in front of you. I'm I sure do. people can just Dub- Google. You've memorised it. I, it's right here in my brain. www.electoralreview.govt.nz. You can find there the full report, uh, a smaller document that's just the key themes, and there's also a survey there that's really easy to fill out. Or you can do your whole free form submission if you want to do that as well. We will read it all. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Deborah, <laughs> for coming. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Is it mad that the world burning is not in our, like, top three concerns? You thought bad news was done, but I'm back with more. And Alice Sneddon's Bad News Saves the World. I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can see the anxiety (laughs) starting to emit from you. Kia ora e te iwi. Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.